Please turn in your Bibles, if you're able, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 15 through 21. There's so much that could be said in these verses that walking through them is probably, probably the best way to do it, although I'm sure at times it may feel like we're running through it. Um, sorry about that. Not even Paul had all the time in the world, but we're, we're trying to slow down as much as possible. Although Paul will tell us this morning that we must walk. We must walk spirit-filled lives. This is much easier said than done. There's so much pressure and pull to live in a way that this honors God in these, as Paul will say later on, these evil days that many of us have given into that temptation and many lights have been extinguished. Uh, the other day, my, my kids and I, we were outside in the backyard and we we're just shooting pucks at a net that we have and it's, it's, the backdrop is the woods and we have nets around the net to prevent pucks from flying past the net and into the woods. And the rule is, if it goes past the goal and into the woods, you have to go get it. You launch it, you find it. But we were out there for so long that day, the, the darkness and the night sort of just fell on us without us noticing. The only light we had was from the floodlight on the garage behind us. And I inadvertently launched one into the, the woods. And you know, I'm like, man, I gotta follow my own rule. So I, I walk back there and I start searching for this black puck that you can imagine in the woods and in the dark is impossible to find. And I'm searching for it. And eventually one of my kids says to me, Dad, forget it. It's gone into the darkness. And that's exactly what he said. It's gone into the darkness. And Paul will tell us this morning how to avoid being launched into the darkness. How to keep our light burning so that it doesn't go out, so that it's not extinguished in these evil days. In short, he will say, that we must walk spirit-filled lives. We must live in the spirit, walking spirit-filled lives. But how do we do that exactly? And that is the question we will attempt to answer together this morning. But let us read our passage first, beginning in verse 15. Paul, Paul there writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we gather here in, in this community, Lord, that we would be drawn to the, the wonder of how you have brought us together for your glory to walk in this world the way we were meant to. Father, help us to see that through your word, we pray. In your son's name, amen. So the question we're asking and attempting to answer this morning is how do we 
walk spirit-filled lives. Now, I'm sure it's no surprise to anyone here, but did you know the importance of getting up and walking? If, if you have the ability to walk, then your physical health is literally in your hands. You can get up and walk and, and receive some of the benefits of walking. Dr. Thomas Fryden, who was the former director of the CDC, he, he once stated that walking is the closest thing we have to a wonder drug. That's what he said. Because there are a host of benefits that come from walking that no man-made compound can accomplish. According to an article from the Mayo Clinic, a brisk walk can help maintain a healthy weight, can prevent and manage heart disease, stroke, high blood pressure, cancer, and type 2 diabetes. It can increase your cardiovascular and muscle fitness, improve your mood, cognition, your memory, your sleep, strengthen the immune system, reduce stress, and even tension. But here's the thing. It's not just any sort of walking. What they actually recommend is what they call a fitness walk. It is a different type of walking, not a normal everyday stroll, but a fitness walk. And this requires intentionality. It requires purposeful movements. They say that they recommend that your head is up, you're looking forward, your neck and shoulders are relaxed, your back is relaxed, you're swinging your arms and with a slight bend in your elbows. They recommend a good pump as you're doing it. Your stomach muscles are slightly tightened, your back is straight. I'm trying to straighten up as I'm reading this. I'm feeling convicted. And you're walking smoothly, rolling your foot from heel to toe. Now that's a lot to think about when you're just going, you just wanna go for a walk. But if you want the benefits that come with a brisk walk, a fitness walk, then you will be intentional and purposeful to keep those things in mind the next time you do go for a walk. And similarly, our spiritual health is dependent not just on walking, but how we walk. Remember that Paul said back in chapter 4 that it's the non-Christian who's just sort of walking through life mindless of the things of God, and just sort of hoping for the best. But the Christian, he says here in verse 15, walks carefully. They're careful about how they walk. They are mindful of how they walk. Now, when we hear this word careful, we, it may bring up uh, thoughts of maybe timidity or, or caution, right? Fear. Be, be fearful then how you're walking in this world. It's more of a reactive sort of way uh, to, to looking at the word. But when Paul's using it, he's using it in a proactive way, the way we would use it if we were to see a toddler walking down the stairs. We would tell that, that toddler, be careful. And there may be fear on our part as we're walking them sort of uh, unsteady down the stairs, but we're not trying to cause sort of fear in, in the toddler. We're not trying to make her um, fearful of the stairs, that would be an unhealthy fear. But what we're telling her is be mindful about how you step. Be intentional about your next steps. Be accurate in how you step. And that's one of the ways that we walk spirit-filled lives. Paul tells us here that we must be careful. Why? 
because in verse 16, he tells us there that the days are evil. The days are dark, as he described it in in the earlier passages of chapter 5. That is, they are morally and socially dark. Sin has so penetrated every corner of human existence that it has caused an undoing of what God has made good, including good days. They become evil. Now, here's something important to understand about darkness and evil and what we call sin. Sin does not create anything. Sin does not make anything new. What sin is, is an undoing of what God has created good. Sin is, in a sense, uncreation. As Cornelius uh, Plantiga put in his book, uh, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, he describes sin as a parasite or a leech that attaches to the things that God has made good and it sucks the life out of it, leaving behind death. So it's not creating anything. Rather, it is uncreating what God has made good. So Christians who are called to live and walk in this world, you are to walk carefully in it, aware of what is going on, aware of what sin has done to the days that God has made good. And how do we do that exactly? Well, Paul says here that we fitness walk our way through it with intentionality, with purposeful movements. And he gives us here three of those walking techniques with three statements that say, do not walk this way, rather walk this way. And the first one he gives us there in, in verse 15, we're still at the very beginning, sorry about that. The, the first one he gives us is do not walk as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. The Christian is one who, as Pastor Chris mentioned a few weeks ago in one of his sermons, wisely plans and then filters those plans through the scriptures so that what is left on the other side of the filter, like coffee, is the best decision for, for whatever circumstance that you're in. This is, uh, I think, even more so if you're being meticulous and purposeful and intentional about what you're brewing, like a good cup of pour-over coffee, which may sound good to some of us right about now. But the unwise person, however, does not consider God in his plans. Instead, they let the days and the circumstances and their gut feelings sort of dictate what they're going to do. The, the day seems to seize them rather than them seizing the day. But the Christian is told here that they are to seize the day. They are to make the best use of the time. This is a phrase that literally means to purchase back the time, to buy back the time. It's a word that's closely related to redeeming the time. In other words, Christians are to assess these evil days and intentionally make godly decisions that bring goodness out of the days that intentionally redeem back some of the evil that has that has infiltrated God's creation this is restorative living that we're called to making decisions that bring light into the darkness decisions that bring healing to dying days removing the leeches that are sucking life out of God's world in your place of living 
where, where you reside in your schools and your jobs. The Christian walk is not one, it's not a call to passivity at all. It is a purposeful, intentional fitness walk through these evil days. Brothers and sisters, if you are a believer, this is how you must walk, Paul is telling us. Therefore, he writes, do not be foolish. This kind of goes without saying, right? If you're wise, then you're not foolish. But the Bible has plenty to say about what foolishness is. Proverbs is full of pictures of foolish living. One example is Proverbs 18.2 that directly ties to this passage. It says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. The Bible constantly describes a fool as one who walks in his own way, one who thinks he's got it all figured out, one who doesn't need God. As a matter of fact, to the fool, there is no God. As Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But believers, Christians, are those who, who strive to understand the will of the Lord. They are constantly going to Scripture, constantly filtering their lives through the Word of God to discern, to understand how to live, how to walk in dark days. This is what Christians are called to, to know the will of God, that His will is for the restoration of all things. Therefore, they are to walk in a restorative way, in a way that brings creation to where it was meant to be, not uncreation. And this leads to the last technique for walking creationally. Paul writes there in verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Paul is not here nitpicking on, on wine or on biblical drinks or on fermented uh, drinks in scripture. Rather, drunkenness does serve as an ex excellent picture of what unwise and foolish living looks like because the drunkard cannot walk in a straight line. A drunkard cannot make wise and good decisions. They're stumbling their way through life. Their vision is cloudy. Their senses are impaired. And the drunkard even foolishly thinks that his actions are inconsequential to others. But trust me when I tell you that I've been at the scene of several drunk driving accidents and drunkenness does touch the lives of others. It is very much like the leech that can suck the life from this world. And this is why Paul calls this debauchery. Now that's a very interesting word. It's not one that we hear every day. It's not one that we'll use maybe in the next couple of years in a conversation. It may not, if we don't go through Ephesians again, the chances of it coming up again are slim because it's listed three times in the scriptures. Now Webster's Dictionary defines this word as some sort of overindulgence in pleasure, and I think it, it touches on the actual meaning of the word a little bit, but Paul has something quite different in mind. You see, in, in the Greek, when a word or an idea is negated, there's typically an alpha prefix that is attached to the front of it, the ah sound. So for example, in our very passage, the word for wise is sophoi, but the word for unwise is asophoi. Do you see that? It's negating wisdom. It's, it's opposed to wisdom. And likewise, this word uh, debauchery appears to be a negation 
of words that are related to preservation, words that are related to salvation, words that are related to healing in this world. So, for example, words related to salvation are sozo is a word, or soteria, but the botchery is asotia. In other words, it is anti-preservation. It is anti-healing. It is anti-salvation. And what I think Paul is pointing to here is that those who are not intentionally walking this Christian fitness walk are dangerously walking a drunkard's path towards uncreation, where the light eventually extinguishes. And what he is saying is do not walk this way. Do not walk as unwise. Do not walk as foolish the way a drunkard would look in wasteful living. This word is also used where it describes the prodigal son's way of living. It was wasteful. It was on its way to uncreation. And Paul is saying, do not walk this way. Rather, walk this way. Walk as wise, striving to understand the will of the God, not filled with uncreation, but with creation. So how are Christians called to walk spirit-filled lives? The first thing we saw there is that we must walk carefully, and we also must walk creationally, the way we were meant to. But how do we do that exactly? That's what we're trying to get to. How do we walk spirit-filled lives? And Paul tells us that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. But wait a second. Pablo, your your question to us this morning is, how do we walk spirit-filled lives? And your answer is be filled with the Spirit. Now, that's not very helpful, is it? How do we walk spirit-filled lives? Be filled with the Spirit. Go on your way. Here's the benediction. No. As confusing, I understand, as I can be at times, thankfully, Paul tells us exactly how we must be filled. And his answer, the answer is, we must walk in gospel community. We must walk in gospel community, and in particular, through worship and prayer. Dr. Carl Truman, in his book, A Strange New World, he points out that we are now living in a time that is strikingly similar to second century Rome. And if you know anything about that time, those were very dark times for for Christians, and they got darker. And he writes that their Christianity was a little understood, despised, marginal sect. It was suspected of being immoral and seditious, eating the body and blood of their God, and calling each other brother and sister, even when married, it made Christians and Christianity sound highly dubious, that is, suspicious to outsiders. And that claim then that Jesus is Lord was on the surface a pledge of loyalty that was only due to Caesar alone. That is much like the situation that we're in today as a church. For example, Christians are now considered irrational bigots for their stance on gay marriage religious conservatives in general, and evangelical Christianity in particular, is decried as representing a threat to civil society. You hear that? You're a threat to civil society. Much like our ancestors in the second century, we too are deemed immoral and seditious. Now, this may create a sort of gloomy 
idea of the future in our minds. However, what is clear about the second century, what is clear about second century Christianity, second century brothers and sisters from the earliest texts like the Didache and the ones that we're holding in our very hands, first century texts, what is clear about them is how central community was to their lives. Community was absolutely necessary and mandatory for surviving the darkest days. Worship and fellowship every week put the priorities of eternity in front of them. And sadly, many today have forsaken that, have abandoned that. A recent study that uh, Pastor Polsky passed along to us as staff in the session from the American Enterprise Institute in the University of Chicago shows that church attendance, which was already on a downward trend before COVID, has dropped dramatically since then. People are just not returning to church. Amongst the largest group, and the numbers have, have gone up, those who are not attending church have gone up um, drastically across all demographics and all, uh, all groups, but those who are not returning to church mostly are those who have leaned liberal politically, those who have not married, and those who are under 30. But the numbers have, have gone up across the board. And my concern there is that if they remain alone, apart from community, their light will eventually extinguish. They're like the puck that was launched right, into the darkness. Only Jesus can retrieve it with light, which is eventually how I found the puck the next day. I needed the light to find it. So we need one another, brothers and sisters. God saw fit that our fuel for walking in this world would be one another. Therefore, he says we must continue to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And there really is no distinction between those things. What Paul is saying is songs that have been inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's through our weekly worship that what we're doing is we're, we're blowing on the embers of each other's souls, those embers that are barely lit. And when we're singing to one another, next to each other, for one another, what we're doing is blowing on those embers so that they become flames for the Lord once again. But, how, but sometimes, I'm sorry, I lost my place here. We think that our singing and our worship is all about us. We live in such an individualistic and consumer-driven society that if we come to church and it, we're not entertained, we're, we're not feeling the worship, right? It's just not touching our emotions that day, then, then worship is boring. And church is boring. But when we realize that our worship, that our words are actually producing something in our brothers and our sisters, in those who can't sing because they're too tired and too weary, then our worship becomes sort of otherworldly. It becomes something almost unexplainable, something even exciting, and your heart begins to burn for the Lord, singing melody and singing songs to him as we see in verse 19. 
and your words come from a place where God himself dwells, where Christ is dwelling in your very hearts, Christ himself singing through you for your brothers and your sisters. Otherwise, it's, it's just karaoke. And we can do that anywhere. But this realization that worship is actually doing something, not just in you, but for your brothers and sisters, it automatically draws you to give thanks to the Lord, to pray for what? Because he has made you part of his body. How do we pray and when do we pray? We pray always for what? For everything. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus and to whom? To God the Father. But why are we praying? Why are we giving thanks? Because he has made us a part of the body. Now we need to remember here that this letter was written by Paul while he was in prison. Right? He, and, and he's, not only is it mind-boggling, I think that even in that circumstance, he's telling us that we must give thanks always and for everything, but what I think this letter draws out over and over is how much he longed for community. He longed for the fellowship and the worship of his fellow brothers and sisters. All throughout this body, he's talking about the oneness, and yet he's alone. As I was reading uh, articles to, to find the, the benefits of walking, interestingly, I came a- across several articles that recommended walking alone. Go, go figure. And I'm, not saying, and I'm not saying there isn't a time and a place to be alone. Jesus himself retreated and was alone with the Father to pray. But what was interesting is that when it came to walking at night, when it came to walking in the dark, it was highly recommended that you not walk alone, that you walk with others. And Jesus, in his darkest moment of life in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked for his friends to be there, to not be alone. And did he know his friends would fail him, that they would fall asleep? Yes. But I believe there's something about their physical presence that he wanted there with him. And we will not get that if we're simply streaming fellowship online. You cannot get the benefits of being filled with the Spirit if you're only watching from home because of convenience. Because it isn't simply about you hearing your brothers and sisters, it's about your brothers and sisters hearing you as you worship, as you sing, when they can't sing, when they can't worship, when they're too tired to hear your voice singing for them because we are one body. Can church be inconvenient when we haven't done it for a while? Yes, it may seem that way. Can it be inconvenient when uh, we have sports, youth sports on Sundays and and NFL uh, championships coming up? Yes. When other people are planning entertainment and barbecues or grillings, as we would call them? (laughs) Yes, it can be a little inconvenient. It can seem that way. But brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, then like the second century church, not only is it necessary, it is mandatory for walking through evil days. Because Paul tells us 
in this final verse, verse 21, and Pastor Chris will pick up on this verse next week because it links to the household codes that we're getting into. What he says there is that submitting to one another is in a sense an act of submitting to Christ. You cannot have one without the other. In Christianity, you cannot have the head without the body. And if you revere Christ, if you honor him, if you say that he is your heart's treasure, then gospel community is a priority because you are his body. You are a member of the body of Christ. And he made it that way in order to fill you with the Spirit. We are the ones who, the, who God himself is using to fill you with the Spirit, to fill you with fuel and motivation to make it through dark days. And this reminds me of a verse in uh, Hebrews chapter 10 that I was reading this morning where the writer of Hebrews there says, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting, hear that, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So brothers and sisters, how do we walk spirit-filled lives? We know that we are to walk carefully, aware of what's going on around us, but in that awareness, walking creationally, restoratively in this world. But lastly, we can only do that if we are walking in gospel community. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the community of believers that you have given to your people, Lord. A community that's there to fuel us and guide us through dark days, Lord. We don't know if, if and when those days will come, but we do know that the only way to survive through any of it is with your people. Not alone, Lord, because you did not create us to be alone. You said that it is not good for man to be alone. And so we praise you, Lord, this morning, and we thank you for the community that you have given to us. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.